Dr. Sue Ellen Owens. Topic tonight is Theology of the Body. John Paul II, our beloved Pope, John Paul the Great, did a series of Wednesday talks, and 129 of them, he was an advocate, of course, he was a phenomenologist, which means he studied the essence of being and our existence, called into creation by God, our creator, who called us out of love, and it was very person-centered theology, beautiful, life-altering theology, so powerful, it mimics all we know about ourselves, and it resonates within us. When I was in, in college studying psychology, I studied a lot of Carl Jung, who is also very much person-centered. And John Paul II just layered on this and, of course, exploded it because it was theology and more about our soul and, and the fullness of our body. Our bodies are biological, but they're also theological. Theology of the body goes into depth of what it means to be human. It's the vision of human embodiment. Our bodies reveal a theology of communion, holy communion. Here's a quote from John Paul II. The body, and it alone, is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine. It was created to transfer into the visible reality of the world the mystery hidden since time immemorial in God, God's love for man, and thus to be a sign of it. So we know we're meant to commune with God. We have this vertical relationship with God the Father. It's also a horizontal relationship with people in our lives, and most especially with those people, generally one, God willing, not always, that you enter into the, <laughs> the holy sacrament of marriage. Our bodies are made for God, and we are made for Him. We know we're created in the image and likeness of God. We've talked about this a couple of times again. We image God because of how we're made within our soul and how God is made as, as spirit. Our spirits are connected. We tend towards God. We feel the goodness of God within us. When something good happens, it resonates within our soul, and that kind of mimics the essence of what God is. And we are made in the likeness through Christ and his example and how he lived on this earth and what he gave us in, you know, in the, how we're meant to follow him. And we mimic his behavior. We mimic his teachings. We, we learn from it. And, and they're meant to inspire us and form us. And so that's how, we, that's how we are in his likeness. When we sin, we lose that likeness. And, of course, when we go back into reconciliation and are reconciled to God, then we are back to imaging God fully, image and likeness. Scripture begins with the image of man and woman. You guys all remember Genesis and the scripture related to it. God brings them together nuptially. And, you know, John Paul II talks about Adam's original solitude and how in being created, he realized on some level that he was not God, that he was different from God, and that God was his creator. And he also realized that he was different from all the created beings, beasts, animals, that he was made dominion over. And he had a solitude in that, an aloneness. And what I, I think is just beautiful is that he likely then yearned. If that solitude, there was likely a yearning for someone like him, some sameness. And God answered his prayer before he prayed it. We don't ever hear Adam complaining or, or asking God. We just know that God answered it 
directly from his body, directly from Adam's body. And here's a quote, again, John Paul II. When God, Yahweh, said, it is not good that man should be alone, he affirmed that alone, man does not completely realize this essence. He realizes it only by existing with someone, and even more deeply and completely by existing for someone. When we are fully imaging God, it's in the marital relationship, the sacrament of marriage. When we fully image God, because we are made different from man, men and women are created differently. We are meant to complete each other in that creation. And when we do that and come together, we fully image God. Scripture is fulfilled in the eternal union in what Christ did in giving us his body. He lived this out also and left for us this living out of receiving his body in the Eucharist, within the Eucharist. We know that Christ had to be fully human and fully divine, both, in that mysteri you know, mysterious union, and he elevated then our humanness to the divine. And then, after the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension, he had already set a formula, a pattern, established the men that will, would lead us through church history, and the hands of the priesthood that would sanctify and consecrate the Eucharist so that we could continue to receive his body. The sacrament of marriage is our eternal destiny. When we are fully in communion with God, we have come to him and fully realized what we're meant to be. We know in the sacramental life, the sacraments are, are images, reflections of grace and eternal love and all those things that are fundamental and real, but they're not completely what we yearn for. They demonstrate it to us in this life, in our physical life, but we will find the fulfillment of them within our eternal life. Our bodies make visible the invisible mystery of God, the eternal union. Image Dei, the image and likeness. And then, you know, we see, we see how Christ fulfills all this. We see the Trinitarian mystery that happens, which is directly related to the theology of the body with what ha happens on the cross, on the crucifix. We have Christ in obedience, full obedience to God the Father, who had an ultimate plan of love. He walks his way to the cross. He's on the cross because of his obedience. We have the love of God the Father with a plan for humankind that put him there. And we know that what happens, what bursts forth from that union is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It's life-giving. It gives the essence of life. Then the Holy Spirit can reside within us and it fills us with, with life and grace. Again, Christ ascended into heaven, but he said, I will leave something greater than myself. Holy Spirit internally resides, gives us life, and convicts us in our sin. And we say this when we pray the Nicene Creed. I'm just going to read it to you a little bit. Parts of it. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. 
For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. So we literally see that in our creed, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The obedience of Christ, the Son, and the love of God the Father. We know that Jesus had to become human again to take on all our humanity. We know, of course, what happened with the Paschal Mystery on the cross. Death is conquered, sin is conquered, suffering is redeemed. And he played out this Trinitarian experience of love on, on that cross. And then we get to repeat it within the sacramental life in marriage. We know that love must be given and received. We're created for love. We're made for it. God is love. We're created for it. We are made for it from within our souls. And we must give that love out, and we must receive it as well. Again, that vertical relationship and that horizontal relationship as well. Love must be given and received, and our, our anthropology and our bodies are made for this. Both, both, our anthropology and our bodies are made for giving and receiving love. So, so beautiful. It's the theology written within us. We are made male and female complementary, which bears the revelation of the eternal mystery of the Trinity in the marital act. This is the nuptial meaning of the body. The sacrament of marriage is the sign and the sacrament that points us to our eternal destiny, which is union with God. We live that out here. We know that we can participate in it, in our eternal life, but again, we get the gift of living it here on earth in a sacramental marriage. We can live that out, that unity with God. It's, it's tremendous. It's beautiful. It's holy. And it, it fills our, our anthropology so, so well. It fits us. Scripture says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Continues, this is in Ephesians 5. This is a great mystery, but I speak in reference to Christ and the church. And John Paul II says, Christ manifests the love with which he has loved her, the church, by giving himself for her. That love is an image, and above all, a model of the love which the husband should show to his wife in marriage when the two are subject to each other out of reverence for Christ. So, in Scripture, prior to the revelation that we can look back on now, hindsight 2020, the, you know, the traditions of the church established, the sacraments in place, we see it in Ephesians, we see it in Scripture, exactly the plan that Christ had for us. And Jesus was meant 
to be fully human and fully divine, to give his flesh for us as the bridegroom, as the bridegroom. He also left his father to become one flesh with us. And again, we can live that out within the marital act, but we also can live it out within the reception of the Eucharist. And, you know, I remember a priest a while ago talking to me about the bridegroom and the, and the church and, and how Jesus is, is that he is the bridegroom. And he loves the church and he pours himself out for the church. And his love was poured out on the cross for the church. That's us. That's us. And he established the sacramental economy for the church to pour his love out into us, his merciful love. And the, the source and summit of that, of course, is the Eucharist. And so no matter whether we're in the marital relationship or not, when we walk the aisle to receive Christ in the Eucharist, we are walking towards our bridegroom. We are walking towards our bridegroom. Jesus left, separated from God in that sense, to become one flesh with humankind. He became one flesh with us. We receive him then in that nuptial mystery. We receive him in. I'm going to close with, with the last quote from John Paul II. It says, Alone man does not completely realize this essence of being a person. He realizes it only by existing with someone and even more deeply and completely by existing for someone. The communion of persons means existing in a mutual for, in a relationship of mutual gift. Thanks, thank you.